0: You are listening to Kubernetes Bites, a podcast bringing you the latest from the world of cloud native data management. My name is Ryan Wallner, and I'm joined by Bob and Shaw, coming to you from Boston, Massachusetts. We'll be sharing our thoughts on recent cloud native news and talking to industry experts about their experiences and challenges managing the wealth of data in today's cloud native ecosystem.
1: Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich.
0: Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening wherever you are. We're coming to you from Boston, Massachusetts. Today is February second, two thousand and twenty-two. Hope everyone is doing well and staying safe. Let's dive into it. Bhavan, how are you doing? I'm the, I'm
2: I'm doing good. Like I survived a snow blizzard, so <laughs> I think that was my first
0: big or major northeastern like. Since I've been living in Boston, so that's right. Yeah, there was a very, uh, there was a similar one um, about this time of year uh, in 2015, and this is a couple of years after I moved to to Massachusetts and I have a video that popped up in my like you know memories um, Oh wow. and it was like watch this video and it was my wife jumping off the back porch which the snow was up to the top of the back porch just it was probably like six feet high in snowdrifts, and she disappeared and it, oh. <laughs> just straight up into it and I was like wow this is a, quite literally to the day of just 2015 so that was probably the comparable one uh, I think we got more that time but this was I mean, we got like Out near us, we got about 26, 27 inches oh you got more I think I was at like 18 through 22 some, somewhere around that range so not too bad yeah. then. <laughs> yeah a little bit southeast of us they got the they got the mark it was 31 so Ooh, 31. <laughs> I feel like once you're at 26, 31 who cares so, Yeah, it's just a ton of snow either way mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> oh wow okay so uh, we got a really exciting show today um, we are going to have a guest Xin Yang on the show she's uh, currently a tech lead at VMware and um, she's working on all things cloud-native, integration with data protection. Um, she is the co-chair of the CNCF Storage Tag, a co-chair of Kubernetes Storage SIG, and a co-chair of the Data Protection Workgroup in Kubernetes, and a maintainer of the Kubernetes CSI. That's a mouthful, but uh, she does a lot of great work. So before joining VMware, Shing was a lead architect at OpenSDS, um, and she also worked at Dell EMC for many years. So we have a lot of good questions for her when it comes to, you know, the uh, CSI projects, the storage SIGs, uh, as well as the data protection work group. So excited for that today. I know,
2: me too. Like, just looking at uh, everything that she's doing right
0: now, like, we can a- ask her all sorts of questions. So um, I hope she's ready. <laughs> <laughs> yes. um, let's turn to some news. Bob, and kick us off. I don't think I put much news in here, so why don't you just run through what you have?
2: Yeah, it's been a busy couple of weeks. Like, not from an announcements perspective. Like, I just have uh, a one feature announcement around Amazon EKS. But then, we had some news around some acquisitions and funding rounds that I wanted to talk about with the community today. So, uh, one the the feature was Amazon Guard Duty adds support for EKS clusters. So that means that now you can use Guard Duty to uh, monitor any suspicious or malicious behavior and get alerts for any potential threats to your containerized workloads uh, using Guard Duty. So, uh, you, again, if you are using Guard Duty. Uh, It's free for the first 30 days, but there's no additional configuration needed. It will talk to your EKS control plane. And if it finds the security vulnerabilities, it will give you a report which has details around the container. So pod ID, container image ID, any associated tags and generate a report for you, which you can then go and look at and take corrective actions. I think there are like 27 different uh, vulnerabilities or, or things that they scan for. And obviously that list will keep on increasing. But that was like a cool feature. Again, something that I do want to try out on my EKS cluster as I'm working through my solution. So,
0: Yeah, I feel like the number of security-based news articles we've been since starting this show is probably the majority. Yep. (laughs) So uh, really exciting to see.
2: And like talking about security, right? WeWorks acquired uh, Magalix uh, and their policy engine uh, to work with their GitOps pipeline. So one of the things is uh, obviously they are not, Magalix wasn't the only vendor who was working on policy as code using the open policy agent, but then they were definitely one of the big ones and WeWorks acquired them not just for their SaaS offering, but they're also releasing an enterprise on-prem version uh, that will be available to WeWorks customers. The thing that stood out to me was uh, having Magalix, Magalix, sorry, I'm having a hard time saying that word for some reason, but using Magalix that poli- is not the most easy word to say. Yeah, like, <laughs> yes, agreed. Uh, but you can use your policy engine and point it to your GitOps pipeline. So even like it, it scans and during your code commits, during your application deployment, during your, uh, like even in runtime in your production environments, it will continuously check for, the policies that you have predefined and then generate alerts so you can go and fix things so uh, one of the features that they highlighted was uh if you have an, a non-compliant deployment they'll stop it from going into production so that was a cool feature helps people who are adopting the GitOps framework and and like make things easier from a security perspective awesome yeah. Yeah. And then the next acquisition was uh, around monitoring. So Diamante uh, bought Groundworks and all all of the monitoring that comes along with it. So mm. uh, Groundworks, for people who don't know, which I was one of those, <laughs> uh, I, I had to like look up what they did. Uh, but uh, they, they have uh, a solution that is more of an IT monitoring software product for physical, virtual and cloud-based or cloud-native infrastructures. So this definitely gives Diamante the the insights into containerized applications and Kubernetes clusters or Docker containers, uh, along with the underlying infrastructure metrics and gives you a clean, nice UI or a monitoring dashboard that you can use uh, for their solution. So that was another acquisition. And the last uh, one that I wanted to talk about today was a funding round. So MinIO, uh, again, one of the object storage vendors who uh, have an S3-compatible object store that can be deployed anywhere, uh, so on any cloud, uh, on any Kubernetes cluster. They just raised their Series B funding. Of, I think the funding round was around $103 million, giving them a valuation of over a billion. So they've officially wow. become a unicorn now. <laughs> I was surprised, like personally, that it, uh, this was only Series B. Uh, Min.io has been making a lot of noise. So I, I expected them to be a bigger company or like have mm-hmm. gone through multiple funding rounds. But this was another interesting thing.
0: Yeah, I feel like they've been around for a very long time. Yeah maybe i'm maybe that's just the feeling we get <laughs> good for them that's exciting i know but that's it that's it for the news great well then i don't have any news um and i i think that's where we're going to end and jump into our topic so today's topic is really just about everything storage kubernetes contributing uh, storage interest groups and work groups and just really to find out more Um, and Xing yang is going to join us shortly so without further ado let's have her join us so we can dive into today's topic All right, so without further ado, let's bring Xing Yang on the show here. Xing, it's really great to have you on Kubernetes Bytes here. Please uh, tell everyone a little bit about yourself and what your background is.
3: Hey, thanks, Ryan and Babin uh, for having me here. Uh, hello, everyone. I am Xing Yang. I am a tech lead in the Cloud Natives 3 team at uh, VMware. I'm working on providing storage to applications running in a Kubernetes cluster on vSphere, and cloud native storage data protection is another area that I'm focusing on there. I have been with VMware for more than two years. Uh, I'm also leading a virtual team at VMware to work on Kubernetes upstream contributions. The goal is to make Kubernetes a better platform. before joining VMware, I worked at Dell EMC for many years. Well, I had the opportunity to work with you, Ryan. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I worked in the areas of storage, visualization, data protection, and disaster recovery. And that was also when I started my open source journey by contributing to OpenStack. I started to get involved in Kubernetes, six storage at the end of 2017 starting with contributing in the volume snapshot project at that time it was still in a experimental pre alpha stage
1: mm-hmm.
3: initially it didn't even have css support included because right. at that time csi was also at a very early stage yeah <laughs> it was later on that we added css support for volume snapshot actually now volume snapshot is only supported for CSI drivers. And then I worked with other community members to bring Word Snapshot to Alpha in Kubernetes 1.12 release, and Beta in 1.17. And eventually, it moved to GA in 1.20 in 2020. So that's a big milestone. And reflecting back, I think a lot had happened to me for me in 2020. In the beginning of 2020, we formally established established the Kubernetes Data Protection Working Group with the support from SIG Storage and SIG Appletes. And we also have support from multiple storage and backup vendors and cloud providers as well. And it was also in 2020 when I had the honor of becoming a co-chair of Kubernetes SIG Storage, joining Sadali from Google, who is the other co-chair. And that coincided with the start of the pandemic. So the disappointing part is that (laughs) Six Storage has not had a in-person meetup since uh, KubeCon in San Diego at the end of uh, 2019. I hope that will change soon.
0: (laughs) I hope so too.
3: (laughs) (laughs) And and then in 2021, I also became a co-chair of CNCF tech Storage, along with uh, Alex uh, Kocha, Cherkop from Angad and uh, Quinten Huli from Facebook. So that summarized what I've been doing in VMware and in the CNCF and Kubernetes. Community. Wow,
2: that's a long list. Like uh, again, <laughs> I, I only knew uh, you as like the co lead for Kubernetes six storage, and I've listened to your talks, uh, uh, like as part of the every Kubernetes release, and, and I, I I was there in person when you did the Cloud Native Data Management Day panel uh, at KubeCon LA. Oh uh but yeah this is impressive so i i like i wanted to like double deep uh double click on the kubernetes uh storage sig and then the data protection working group how those two work together going forward and what are their goals like uh do they sh- share some goals or like each unit works as its own thing
3: yeah sure uh so uh the kubernetes six storage that is a uh, Focusing on how to provide storage to containers running in a Kubernetes cluster. So that includes uh, persistent volumes that live beyond a pod's life cycle and f-more volumes that are tied with a pod's lifecycle. And SIG storage is uh, responsible for the uh, lifecycle of volumes used by the pods. So that includes provisioning a new volume, attaching volume to a pod, uh, to a node. And mounting so that the pod can use it, unmounting, detaching, and deleting it when it's no longer needed. And seek storage uh, also look at how to influence the scheduling decisions based on topology. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you look at uh, the accessibility, making sure that volume is scheduled to a node which has access to storage. It looks at the capacity, uh, whether uh, there's sufficient capacity when the pod is uh, scheduled to a node. Uh, and also Six Storage supports volume snapshotting and uh, volume expansion and so on. Um, also Six Storage has volume plugins that allows uh, various storage systems to provide storage to a pod. So there are CSI uh, drivers and there are entry volume plugins that are being uh, migrated to CSI drivers. And there are flex volume that is deprecated. And right now on a blog and a file storage are uh, supported in Kubernetes, but we are also uh, working on adding object storage support. Mm. Uh, so we have been trying to bring the object storage project Cozy to Alpha for a few releases now. Uh, hopefully we can make it in the 1.24 release. So I probably want to uh, talk a little bit about the difference between a SIG and the working group. Sure. Uh, yeah, SIG, uh, it can be either a horizontal SIG or a vertical one, like SIG storage is a vertical one. Like mm-hmm. Also like SIG networking, that's a vertical one that is focusing on a specific domain. Uh, horizontal SIGs are like SIG architecture, SIG release. So um, SIG usually will own code. Um, But for a working group, normally, uh, that is uh, sponsored by multiple SIGs. Normally, it's uh, established to solve a particular problem. Uh, So in our case, we found there are some gaps in data protection support in Kubernetes. So that's why uh, we decided to form this uh, working group, and we got support from uh, SIG storage leads and uh, SIG apps leads at that time. Um uh, so basically so this allows us to have a place to collaborate and to discuss what other missing functionalities in supporting data protection in Kubernetes and work together to find the solutions. So that's the uh so they are definitely related since the SIG SIG uh SIG storage is one of the SIG that sponsored the data protection wing group. Um so if you look at the Items data working group has been discussing, uh, like consistency group support. Mm-hmm. So that's also something that is owned by six storage as well. It's just uh, right. data protection working group has a, a special interest that they can use that as part of the, the backup. Right. Uh, or and
0: I've never heard uh, it actually explained that way. That makes a lot of sense. <laughs> I was thinking <laughs> oh, the same thing. Yeah, <laughs> um, it's actually good to hear. Uh, you know that analogy of sort of uh, the vertical and horizontal. I think it plays really well and helps me understand. I think and maybe some others that are gonna to listen to this, uh, what the data protection working group does. Now you mentioned consistency groups, and I know from your past experience, you you did a lot of work in OpenStack with uh, consistency <laughs> groups. So I'm curious, <laughs> yes. how has the experience been in the Kubernetes community uh, you know, uh, when you're comparing something to something like the OpenStack?
3: So definitely there are a lot of things that uh, I can learn from that experience since I, Added those uh, APIs and implementation mm-hmm. in OpenStack, um, but I think in Kubernetes, uh, it's also uh, one part. I think it's very different. Is uh, the I think the, it's really the process part. Uh, in Kubernetes, you have alpha, beta, and GA releases. So you first introduce a feature into alpha. Uh, in OpenStack, at that time, there there isn't such a thing, right? So basically you bring the feature in, then that's a the GA feature. I know later on, there are uh, uh, some of the teams added experimental feature.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: So I'm not sure if they have that in, in Cinder now, but at least at that time, uh, this, as soon as you introduce the API, it's already GA. Uh, <laughs> I think, I, I, actually, I think, you know, there are, you, know, you can always look at things from, both sides, right? Right. In, in, on one hand, okay, now it takes much longer <laughs> for you eventually <laughs> this to eventually put this into change But uh, on the other hand, it's good because right. now your feature gets thoroughly reviewed and tested. Uh-huh. And we even have this uh, production readiness review thing for, uh, for everyone to introduce a feature. You have to fill, fill out this big form. You need to think about right. how to troubleshoot Uh, What are the metrics that you can look into? You know, is there any performance problem? Right. So you look at all of the things to make your feature more production ready. Um, So, so definitely that's, that's the one big difference. So, so right now, that particular cap that I have been working on that for for quite some time, (laughs) uh, it's still in the design phase. So it's, it's kind of slow because there are many different uh, situations that we need to consider, Mm -hmm. especially that API needs to support both. uh, Block and file, it's actually uh,
1: okay. quite
3: challenging because they have different uh, uh, characteristics. So that's why it takes long. So we want to make sure that the API is done right.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I, I, I get there's pros and cons to <laughs> <you're> coming out <laughs> with GA right away and be able to use something that may or may not work fully uh, versus something that's well-tested. Now, uh, talking about testing, you know as a SIG, you, you own code and you might own code for something like Consistency Groups, do you also own the testing as well?
3: Yeah, so uh, when you add a feature, you are also responsible for adding unit tests, integration tests, and E2E tests. So those are part of the... Uh, so the, there is a SIG for testing. There is, okay. a, right. there is a SIG testing. So that, that's the horizontal SIG. Right. But right. for each vertical SIG, definitely whenever you add any feature, if
2: you add any code, you will need to have tests for that. Okay, gotcha. and yeah. like since these uh, go through like the alpha and beta phases, right? You can enable those experimental features, and like you, uh, people using Kubernetes in the real world can be your QA team as well, or testing team, and just make sure everything works and <laughs> and file bugs. So no, I like this approach better than the OpenStack one. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> i'm sure some people like the open stack one too you never know yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i don't know that <laughs> so um you know a lot of our listeners here um vary in terms of their uh knowledge base when it comes to kubernetes how sigs work or even just how um you know some of the technology works so um you know we we definitely want to ask you sort of uh, the the most basic question maybe um which is you know how do people actually work with volumes and snapshots, um, or how do they work with restores and clones uh, of those snapshots? And and what does your you know how, how has your involvement been? And how is how are those things evolved over your experience? In, in right.
3: Uh, so uh, volume snapshot, it's GA I see a lot of uh, backup vendors. Uh, they are using volume snapshot to do backup and restore. Uh, so to, uh, to use that, basically in Kubernetes, you have the volume snapshot API object, right? Mm-hmm. So you can just create a volume snapshot API object in Kubernetes that will trigger uh, the volume snapshot on the storage system. So I think a backup vendor can use that to take a snapshot And then of course they need to have some other logic. They have their data mover to move the snapshot data to some some place, some location. Sure. Um, And then at the restore time, uh, I think I can see different paths at restore time. Uh, If uh, your snapshot is uh, actually a snapshot that's already uploaded to a object store, like EBS
1: Mm
3: -hmm. uh, snapshot that's already uploaded, in that case, you can actually just uh, do a creative volume from Snapshot. But if it's a uh, uh, other storage system that whose the, the Snapshot is not uploaded to some other places like a local Snapshot, right? Mm-hmm. It's your Snapshot basically, it's, a, uh, it's like a backup. In that case, you probably will need to use a different way. Like in our case, since I'm working on the uh, blur plugin for vSphere, mm-hmm. what we do is we will create a a PVC and then we will copy data. We download data mm-hmm. uh, and then we copy the data and then uh, basically overwrite the new volume with that data. Ah, okay. Yeah. So I think there are probably other ways. And then the other way is uh, um, I don't know if you guys have used the volume populator feature. So that's also I have not, another
0: but I, I did want to ask you about it. Yeah.
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's another feature uh, we are very interested in in the data protection working group. Um, but that's still a sixth storage feature, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so that feature we're trying to uh, target in data in 1.24. So right now it's an APA feature. So with that feature, uh, what you can do is. Uh, Basically, it allow you to create a PVC from any data source. So not just a volume snapshot or another PVC, it can be from your backup. Mm. Uh, so if you write a volume uh, populator, um, then you can just uh, create a PVC this way. So right. you can do that at the restore time as well. And the benefit of that is that it can allow you to support um, topology, the, the wait for first consumer mode. Right. So. So,
0: how um a question about the populator? How is that different than what um I forget what it's called today? But there are there are ways that you can tell some other source to be ingested into a PVC today, right? So if it's like a GitHub repo or some
1: kind mm-hmm.
0: of uh, code base or or downward API or, or one of those two, where you can kind of have things popular. I, I guess what's the difference there um with what you're working on with data popular is it focused just mostly on like the data protection uh
3: so I think for that one those are like ephemeral volumes if Ah, you're using those
1: right right, so
3: this is a uh like for persistent volume you can actually dynamically provision it so that's Ah, why it can actually support topology right so it can actually Mm -hmm. um with the wait for first uh, consumer you can have your topology um defined, and then it can actually provision that to the zone or, um, or some region that you specified, right? So that's the benefit Mm -hmm. of uh, using this. Got it. Okay,
0: that makes sense.
3: And I know, uh, I
0: know, I've read or saw somewhere, it could have been on one (laughs) one of the previous um, uh, presentations you've done is the option or, or I know, One of the working groups, maybe the data protection one, is working on quiescing, unquiescing for snapshots. I know that was a feature thing. Uh, What's what's that? What is
3: that? Say that again?
0: Um, The quiescing or unquiescing. Oh, quiescing. uh, Yeah, yeah. I was just curious of what that that looks like today. I know it's being worked on.
3: Yeah, so that's also uh, something we are really interested in working on in the data protection wing group. That is Mm -hmm. to quiesce your application. So, you know, when you are backing up an application, you want to quiet that before taking a backup. Uh, so so that one, we do have a cap. Um, so that's uh, right now that, that actually uh, is owned by SIG node. So that's another SIG. Uh, so there are still a few uh, unresolved concerns from SIG node side <laughs> and that we need to get resolved. Yeah, Got so it, that one okay. is kind of a steal. Uh, we kind of put that on hold in this uh, release. We need to get back to that one.
0: Makes sense. And you said, CAP. Yeah. I don't know if you explained it before, but that's a Kubernetes enhancement proposal, right?
3: Correct. Okay, yeah, yeah just
0: just in case folks who listening were wondering. Uh, okay. right.
2: And like going back to the previous comment, right? Uh, for the vo- volume snapshot API to work, does it need support from the storage layer? Or now with, with its general availability, we can use it with any storage uh, backend?
3: Uh, your storage, basically your CSR driver needs to support that. Okay. Otherwise, okay. yeah, you cannot have it. Yeah.
0: Makes sense. All right. So I guess, you know, what's what's there um, to highlight when it comes to new releases? I think we're on, are we on 123? 123 was out, yeah. Yeah, okay. <laughs> we're on 123. Um, what have you been working on? What's to highlight in the in these releases that maybe we didn't mention yet or, or something that comes to mind? Uh,
3: yeah, okay. So yeah, 1.23, that was already out. Uh, I just, uh, yeah, I can uh, highlight a few things sure. that we did in 1.23. Uh, so the first thing is the deprecation. I think I actually mentioned that already. Uh, <laughs> flex volume is deprecated. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, CSI Driver is the way to go. <laughs> so, <laughs> no, we just
0: need to keep hammering that message and, like... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> do, yeah, do we, yeah I, sure. I don't know who's... Do you find that people are still trying to use FlexDriver a lot?
3: Apparently, okay. yeah. Uh, I don't know anyone myself, but I heard there are still a lot of uh, users of uh, Flex okay. one uh, That's why we can't really just uh, remove it yet. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, <laughs> but I hope... Uh, hopefully, they move to CSA driver as soon right. as possible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then uh, we also have a few GA features in 1.23. Uh, so the first one i, I mentioned mention is the the generic ephemeral volume feature. Mm-hmm. So that basically allows any uh storage driver that supports dy- dynamic provisioning to be used as a ephemeral volume. Hmm. And then have the volumes lifecycle bound to a pod. And also all the storage class parameters for volume provisioning are supported. Um, Any features supported with PVC are supported with this uh, generic ephemeral volume. So that's the first one.
0: And and what is the use case around that mostly to have an ephemeral volume with uh, an amount of space that might not be available on the local node? Or what's the use case, I guess, that drove that feature?
3: Yeah, so after all volume, that's really uh, for some scratch space.
1: Hmm. Uh,
3: so the the benefit of this feature, the generic f volume, is that you can actually just use any uh, PVC. You can actually right. yeah. PVC to do that. So that's like some extra space, not on your root disk. Got it, okay. Yeah.
2: And does it work with stateful sets?
3: It should. Okay. okay. Go <laughs> test it, Marvin. Because every, all features supported with PVC should be supported. So if yeah. you, you find that it does not work, then file a bug. <laughs> file <a> bug. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, the next one, next GA feature um, is uh, basically uh, there is a there is a feature that allow you to configure the volume permission and ownership change policy for the pods. Uh so this basically uh is a way to speed up the pod startup time uh so the user can actually skip the recursive permission changes um at the mount time. So that's the second one. And then uh, another one is uh uh to allow the CSI drivers to decloud support for FS group-based permissions. Mm. So that's also moved to GA. So so those are the three three uh, features uh GA in 1.23. Nice. And, what about, sorry, go ahead. Oh yeah, yeah, go ahead. I was going to uh, talk about 1.24 if you are interested. in Oh that. yeah,
2: that was my next question. Like, okay, <laughs> oh. you highlighted three things from 1.23. What about 1.24? What should we be on the lookout for?
3: Yeah. So I'm actually just pulling out of <laughs> our uh, six spreadsheet. We have this uh, planning spreadsheet. Uh, yeah. So, uh, the, the first one I mentioned is the, the volume expansion feature. So this has been there for a really, really long time. It mm-hmm. has been in beta for a very long time. Uh, so now we are finally trying to move this to GA. And, and the reason that it stayed in beta for such a long time is because we are trying to fix some bugs. Mm-hmm. Um, so in, uh, in 1.23, there is actually an alpha feature called uh, Recover from Resize Failure. So without that, but what happens is that if you try to resize, and then uh, if the the new size that you specify is too big, basically your switch system cannot cannot do it. It does not have that much capacity. In that case, there's really no good way of recovering from that failure. Mm. Uh, you actually have to give an even bigger size, and then <laughs> make sure that your switch system can uh, can support that. Okay. So. Uh, this feature basically allow you to specify a smaller size, hmm. uh, so allow you to recover. So with, with, that, um, with that, with this uh, feature to recover from resize failure, uh, now we are trying to move a uh, world expansion to GA. So we'll see uh, if we can make it in twenty four. Great. I, I, I feel like
0: I've been using that feature for so long. I didn't know it wasn't even GA. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <I
3: know. laughs> yeah it's been, so if you didn't run into those issues, then you're good. <laughs>
0: I haven't expanded my volumes to a too large of a, of a number, I guess.
3: <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> and uh, let's see. Um, and the next one, I think we just mentioned the volume populator
1: mm-hmm. feature.
3: Right? That's uh, moving to beta in Wanda24. And and the other one, I think I also mentioned earlier, Cozy, we are still yep. trying to bring that to Alpha in 1.24. And hopefully we'll make it this time. And uh, and and other than that, there are, uh, you know, CSM migration has been going on for for quite some time now. So there are various uh, cloud providers um, that we're doing the CSM migration, trying to move the entry plugins to AutoTree. CSI drivers.
1: Mm-hmm. So
3: uh, a few a few of them uh, will go GA in Uh Some of them are still in beta. So they're in different stages, but definitely we are moving forward with that feature. Got
0: it. So I, I do want to ask about Cozy a little bit, just because um, personally, I haven't actually looked at it a whole lot. So is it mostly, so it's an object API, but does it build on top of the block interfaces or how does that actually... How does it work, I guess, is what I'm asking.
3: <laughs> yeah. Uh, so the API that we are planning to support currently are uh, to provision a bucket. So okay. it's not built on top of a, a block. It's okay. just purely yeah, object bucket provisioning right now. So provisioning and uh, uh, a, buffet, uh, a bucket, delete the bucket, and also uh, let, allow a user to use that bucket, allow access
1: Okay. Yeah, so si- similar, things.
0: similarly to the way CSI would work to provide the APIs to talk to a backend to provision, you know, file block, this essentially is CSI for object, where you'd have to have some object system that would be able to provision a bucket. Am I saying yes. that correctly?
3: Okay. <laughs> yes. that's, Yeah. In that way, it is definitely similar. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay.
2: Um, are there any specific vendors that, like, are, are working, are participating in this Cozy project? Uh,
3: yes. Uh, so, uh, yeah, we have vendors from uh, Menial and uh, also from Red Hat, uh, Google, uh, and also uh, VMware also will uh, be um, more involved in this. Uh, okay and i think there are other vendors but i, I couldn't oh, remember like the these names. are great names like <laughs> it's okay yeah. thank would you, you do have a weekly design meetings sure yeah
0: which i guess is a good lead into if someone was interested in getting involved with cozy csi SIG storage you know you know where do they get involved are there any hurdles what do they need to know
3: uh yeah so uh yeah they they can uh first thing they can do is to attend six storage meetings uh so that's a place where we do uh, planning and feature tracking for every release so they can find out what everyone is working on and see if there's anything they're interested in that they can help with um and uh in terms of uh, any hurdles so uh so definitely if you want to uh contribute uh this is open source so sometimes uh, it could take some time
1: mm-hmm.
3: for things to settle down especially if you want to let's say uh introducing a new feature it takes some time for the community to reach consensus mm-hmm. so you definitely uh need to be very patient and work with the community around that <laughs>
1: <laughs> that
2: makes sense great. like are there any plans on like well I-, I know like it- it's open source everybody's welcome but uh i tried joining one of those six storage meetings and i was like man i don't know enough i don't know any of these people <laughs> <And> <laughs> is, is there some way to like uh, like get people like me in in six storage and get like uh, how can i get more involved like in addition to attending those meetings uh
3: yes that's a good question so normally we uh, we just ask newcomers to attend meeting and see if there's anything you're interested in and then you mm-hmm. can pin the owner of the feature. So I can give you an example, like how I got started, right? Mm-hmm. I think I already mentioned that is the warning snapshot. So uh, when I first joined, I also didn't didn't know what's going on. I basically just <laughs> attended a few of the meetings mm-hmm. and uh, I see that warning snapshot project, they are looking for uh, people to uh, contribute. Mm-hmm. So then I contacted the, one of the person who is uh, leading that project and then started to uh, working on tasks. So I think that's still the best way. Um, uh, so sometimes, uh, in, uh, Kubernetes, there's, uh, the seek contrib- contributor experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, they sometimes have some, uh, other programs that you can also participate. In. So to help you, uh, like get your first out. Okay. Yeah. Maybe that also will be helpful. Yeah. Oh,
0: thanks for that tip. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's good advice. I think a lot of people would be wondering that, right? I, I've been to those meetings and it, it can be overwhelming, especially because a lot of the topics are you know, something that may have been, been talking about for multiple weeks and multiple mm-hmm. meetings. Uh, so that's really good advice to to kind of find somewhere you're interested in, find someone who's sort of um, the owner and, and ping them and ask how you can help, right? Uh, ultimately, yeah. I think You guys are always looking for help, (laughs) so um, in open source. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, Well, I think this is a good place to probably wrap it up, and and I I will leave it with one question is, how can people uh, find out more about what you're doing? How can they help you? Is there any way, um, anywhere they should follow you if you have, you know, any of those uh, Twitter or any accounts or anything to put out there? Uh,
3: Yeah, so... uh... Well, the, the one good place to find me is to you need know, to go to one of those like there you go. storage meetings <laughs> and also meeting. data protection working group meeting that okay. also we meet also by, uh, by weekly, And also you can pin me on Slack, you know, uh, yeah, I'm on Twitter as well. Uh, so, so yeah, so you can pin, or maybe you can also send me emails as well. That that's also a way to, find sure. but if you look at the, the, uh, six storage meeting we have this uh, big spreadsheet if you go through that you will find my name you'll see you know what i'm working on and maybe you can also pin me and see if there's anything you're interested in there
0: great I think, that's, I think that's wonderful. A uh, good way for people to get in started, get in contact with you. And I've learned a lot today. I don't know about you, Bavin, but yeah. um, Sheng, it's been a pleasure having you on uh, the podcast. Uh, I know a lot of people are often wondering about what's going on, what's happening in, in SIG Storage or in the working groups and how it works. So it's been insightful and I appreciate you being on the show.
3: Thank you very yeah, much this is, for having me. Yeah,
2: this was one of those episodes that I, I think I've kept, quiet for a long time. I was just like (laughs) getting every, all the information out and listening to it. Uh, but like, like personally, I would love to have you on, on the podcast again, when, whenever a new Kubernetes release comes out, if you want to talk about the GA beta and alpha features that made it to the release, we'd love to have you on and dive into those and just talk to the community about it.
3: Sure. Sounds good. I'd love to.
0: (laughs) Great. Well, take care, Shing.
3: Thank you. Bye-bye.
0: All right. Well, I don't know about you, Bobin, but I just learned a lot from Shang, and I think um, hopefully our our listeners did too. Um, this is where we usually cover the takeaways that we got out of the conversation. Why don't you kick it off and uh, tell us what you thought about it?
1: Yeah,
2: and like there was so much good stuff in that episode. Uh, I'm that's definitely a re listen for me, uh, at least a couple of times. <laughs> but the thing that, uh, like, again, I knew what SIGs and working groups were, and like, okay, they like that's how people organize themselves but uh just getting to understand like okay there are those horizontal work uh, uh, sigs and vertical sigs um uh, and then for things that don't fall in a specific sig you have a working group for it so it made sense like okay how the data protection working group relies for, on the storage sig and the node sig so uh i don't know it might feel simple but uh, that that's a good thing to know and mm-hmm. like understand
0: Absolutely. I I think it was an eye-opener for me just to understand the structure a bit better, Mm -hmm. right? To know that there's, you know, architecture SIG and testing SIG, but they span across, you know, others and uh, the working groups and how they're differentiated is really, really insightful. Yep. Uh, and the the second thing that I like uh, wanted to just have
2: it in our show notes and highlight was just the uh, the spreadsheet that the storage sig uses. Uh, if you fi- open the link up, you'll find a, a tab for each Kubernetes release uh, and all the different features that are uh, slotted for that release. What's been worked on, you can find out like whether they are in GA, beta, alpha phase, design phase. Who's leading it? links to the GitHub issues um, for each of those enhancements. So that's a wealth of information that takes some time to like go through and understand, but that's something that will definitely be helpful for any of our listeners.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You know, getting those details sometimes is hard to find. So that spreadsheet is is certainly has a ton of information. I, you know, I think one of the things that caught my eye is, you know, someone like Xing, who's uh, really working um, at a level within the storage SIGs that she is now. Uh, the story around how she got started with snapshots and how it was, you know, she may have not really known everything that was going on, but you know, she joined a meeting, um, found a, a, a person or persons that have, were working on something that she's interested in, reached out to them directly, got, uh, got, got, you know, a way to help and contribute. And I think, you know, when you're, starting to jump into a new organization such as Kubernetes and and the many different SIGs that are out there. It can be overwhelming, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, picking the right one, speaking up, those kind of things and uh, hearing that story and just understanding sort of, you know, you have to start somewhere and, you know, figuring out where you can help and where you have interest is definitely a great place to start. Um, so I, I really appreciated, uh, you know, Shing's perspective there. Okay, well, with that... This brings us to the end of today's episode. I'm Ryan. I'm Bobbin. And thanks for joining another episode of Kubernetes Bytes. Thank you for listening to the Kubernetes Bytes podcast. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you.